0: Our first reading is from uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble, that the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall trap them from the wicked for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when i act says the lord of hosts remember the law of my servant moses the statutes and rules that i commanded him at Horab for all israel behold i will send you elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the lord comes and you will turn the hearts of the fathers to their to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest i come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction.
1: Our second reading this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 38. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theolophilus, that you you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And there appeared to him, an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zachariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah uh, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month of the angel, Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him throne of his Father for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her.
2: Well, thank you for those readings. As Richard has said, my name is Tim, and I'm one of the members here at Crescent Church. And let me add that, my welcome to that of his. It's great to see so many here. And it's a great privilege and joy to be uh, stepping up um, into the next part of our uh, our study in Luke. So please do keep that chapter open in front of you. Uh, it was 400 years um, between the last point in the Old Testament in Malachi, which we have read, and the first point in the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke. That's a long gap. Often it's called the 400 years of silence. I wonder if you can imagine 400 years ago, that's 1621. That's the year that the pilgrims went on the Mayflower over to North America. It's still 20 years before we beheaded Charles I, and it's the time when Galileo had his pesky telescope and was having all those fights with the flat earthers on online message boards and the like. 400 years ago, think of all the the governments, all the kings and queens, the crises, all the history that has passed over that time. That's how long it had been since the people of Israel had heard a prophet, the voice of God, 400 long, dark years of silence. And uh, it reminded me of the setting in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you're not watching Christmas movies yet, you're not doing it right. this one on your list. We find four children in the the story, don't we? And they, they find their way into this magical land called Narnia, which at the time is ruled by the White Witch. And she forces all of Narnia to live in an eternally long, dark, silent winter. We first meet Mr. Tumnus. He says, it's winter here in Narnia, always winter, but never Christmas. And as we jump into the commencement of Luke's historical narrative, for many in Israel, now living under the Roman Empire, under the rule of King Herod, who's mentioned in verse number 5, it would have felt perhaps like this long, dark winter. The voice of the prophet Malachi was, was ancient history, 400 years ago. God's promises to Abraham, to Moses, to David, they were even older again. And perhaps some had concluded that God had forgotten about them, and so maybe they should just forget about God. And maybe for you this morning, this picture of of a long, dark winter maybe accurately represents how you feel spiritually, how you feel emotionally, how you feel personally. The voice of God feels like a distant thing. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you've never heard the voice of God before, you've never responded to God. Well, then we need to take great care to look out for what Luke has in store for us this morning. Because just like in Lewis's story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Luke's gospel picks up as the tide is about to turn, the final hours, if you like, before the dawn. Something is stirring. The thaw has begun. The frost is beginning to recede. The noises of spring start to emerge. Or as Lewis puts it in his novel, Aslan is on the move. The great lion, the true king of Narnia, is on the move. And, Nor- and Lewis adds that at the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump a little inside. And that's the same point that we break in, or Luke breaks in, as he, as he starts his narrative, as he starts his history It's his musical overture here in chapter one, and he records for us how that unambiguously the 400 years of silence come to a roaring end as we have not one but two majestic, angelic appearances. The archangel Gabriel coming from the throne room of God, speaking into the silence and announcing two miraculous births, two baby boys whom he says will grow up. To become great. Aslan is on the move. And our investigative historian, Luke, our guide, is doing what he said in verse number one he would do. He's compiling a narrative of the things that have been accomplished, the things that have been fulfilled. And so we want to look at these two announcements this morning. I wonder if you noticed that the echo in our readings, in our two readings, What does Gabriel say in verse number seven of this first boy who will be born, John? Verse number 17, sorry. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Exactly what we had in Malachi chapter four. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. So Luke picks up right where we left off, 400 years before, as if there hadn't been a gap at all. The story God's promise. You see, Luke's agenda, Luke's agenda is exactly that of the Old Testament. He's not coming in here to give us some sort of new imagination or new reimagined faith, a new contemporary religion. No, no he's done the research. He's taken notes. He's done the interviews. He's recorded the details. And now he wants us to be absolutely sure, absolutely certain That God has stuck to his word. That he is at work. That salvation has come. And so the first thing I want us to see in these two stories that we've read this morning, the first point is simply this, that God begins to fulfill his ancient promises. God is beginning to fulfill his ancient promises. We've touched on it already. The, The birth of John There's at least three elements of the promise from Malachi that Gabriel says is about to come true in the birth and life of John. He will be in the spirit and power of Elijah. What will this boy be? Do you remember Elijah? Indulge me a little talking about Elijah. Do you remember in 1 Kings 18, when the wicked king Ahab came to him and said, is that you, the troubler of Israel? And Elijah says, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now I summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel." And you can read on of the conquest between Elijah as he stood alone against the 850 prophets, the wicked, king Ahab, And Jezebel, and he calls the weak and wandering people back to God. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And now, Luke says, this miracle boy is coming, John the Baptist, and he's going to be fearless, spirit-filled, a wild voice of truth against power. He's going to confront his generation just like Elijah did, without regard to safety. He's going to say, there's a coming day of judgment. Get ready. And he would say it again and again until they took off his head. But that's what God promised would happen. And and Gabriel says, it's about to begin. It's about to begin. And secondly, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, exactly what Malachi promised. And in the mercy of God, the voice of John was heeded by many. Of course, the powerful didn't listen. But the people came and they, they fell on their knees and they asked John, what must they do in repentance? They turned from their sin back to God. And we'll look more at that in chapter 3 in the first week of January. And thirdly, he came in the power of Elijah. He turned the hearts of the people, the fathers to the children, and, and, and back to God. And thirdly, he will set the stage and prepare the way for the Lord himself. John would have this role, this temporary role, to lay the groundwork for the Lord Himself to come. So you can see the time has come, Luke says. Aslan is on the move. God is starting to fulfill His ancient promises. And then Luke layers on this second announcement story, which sort of resonates and intensifies the point. Again, we have Gabriel turning up unannounced and, and causing sort of fear and the mild panic that always happens when an angel turns up and again we have another announcement another baby boy but this one hits different it's more significant it's, it's, it's more astonishing it's, it's more momentous this second boy wasn't merely going to be a miraculously assisted birth to an old couple no this promised son was going to be a miraculous unique birth conceived in a virgin womb look at verse 35 And the angel said to Mary now, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This second baby would be unique. This would be the in-breaking of the divine into humanity. This was a new type of creation, a new type of life. And unlike the first one, The baby John, who would be great like Elijah, this baby, verse 32, he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. The first boy born to Elizabeth from the priestly line, he would be the forerunner. He would prepare the way of the Lord. But Mary's boy, from the royal line of David, he would be the fulfillment. He is the Lord come to establish the long-promised kingdom of God. John will have a temporary, short-term role as God's servant, but Jesus will be the eternal king, one with God, his one and only son. So yes, the silence is over. The winter is passing. The dawn is here. God turns up. Bang, bang, he announces he is coming in human flesh to be amongst us. And this, of course, for Luke, is why there's a book to write at it all. It's not simply just that there's been predictions that are now coming true, but the promises of God are being fulfilled. God has not forgotten. Rather, the Lord himself has moved from his heavenly throne, and he will be found In Mary's womb, he's coming exactly just as he promised he would do. And he's going to do exactly what he said he would do. God begins to fulfill his ancient promises. So if you're here this morning or if you're you're listening in and you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, look carefully at Luke's record He has investigated the details and he's carefully ordered his account that we might see how the message of Jesus flows together, how that he fulfills prophecies, predictions, promises made 400 years and longer ago. They're fulfilled in a way that only God can do. And it can be checked out. It's it's history. It's intellectually credible. And you can have certainty And if that's the case, though, it follows that we too must listen to the message of John and to that of Jesus. John's message was clear. We will all face the day of the Lord's judgment. I can't imagine what John might have said to us this morning. Who do we think we are, taking the fun, the family, the friends, without paying any regard to the good giver of all those good gifts? We have to stop acting like owners, in God's world, when we're nothing more than tenants, prepare to stand before God. But praise be to God, Jesus Christ has come, and he is the hope, the only hope of deliverance that we have, he fulfilled the promise. He established God's kingdom by giving his life for ours on the cross, an event, of course, that was echoed by Lewis in that novel, where Aslan, the true king of Narnia, comes and gives his life on the stone table for that of the traitor Edmund. Consider Jesus Christ this morning, if you haven't before, that you might have certainty. Avoid God's judgment. Take refuge in Jesus. So firstly, we see in these two stories, these two announcements, a sort of resonating, building, progressing story of God beginning to fulfill and accomplish his ancient promises. But secondly, I also want us to notice how that that Luke puts these two stories not only to build, but also to contrast. So he repeats the form, and you read them through, it almost feels like the same thing again, but there's a stark difference. There's a stark contrast, particularly in the two parents they end up in two very, very different places. I want us to see that God's promise fulfillment provokes contrasting responses. So let's first look at Zechariah. We were introduced to him in verse number five and we, we certainly see he has family pedigree. He was of one of the 24 divisions of priests, his wife Elizabeth, She's also from the family of Aaron, the original high priest. It's a pretty serious family tree if you live in Israel. And what's more, they're actually great people as well. Not only do they have the pedigree, but, but they're also righteous before God, walking blamelessly, Luke says. They were respectable. Nobody had a bad thing to say about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're the sort of neighbors you want, you know? And they were faithful, people of prayer, devout, but they had no children. Elizabeth was barren, and by the time we pick up the story, they were both elderly. It was a shame. There had been great sadness, many prayers, tears, but it was hopeless, now it was impossible. Elizabeth, later on, calls it her reproach. The time had passed, opportunity gone. They had to start to move on. But as we pick up the story, there's actually some good news here. All the years of service through the personal struggles were now rewarded for Zachariah as he was chosen to lead the, na- the national prayers in the temple. He was chosen by Lot to go into the holy place and to burn incense at the, in the heart of the temple. This is a ritual that a priest maybe got to do once in his entire career. So for zachariah this was a you know a life-defining highlight expect a new profile picture hashtag best day ever this was this was great you can probably imagine the mixture of sort of excitement a little bit of fear and trepidation in their household that morning as they get to get ready to go down to the temple for zachariah's big day at the temple zachariah with the incense in one hand that he's going to take into the holy place walks up the steps goes through the porch and enters into the holy place for the first and only time in his life he approaches the altar where he's going to ignite this incense it stands before the veil guarding the holy of holies it's somber it's serious And he's going to put the incense on on the hot coals. And as it goes up, he and the crowd of people outside that have gathered for for, for worship are going to pray. And the incense is going to picture the the prayers that they're going to make as they pray to God to, to fulfill his ancient promises. To send deliverance for his people. As they pray for God to send the Messiah to break the 400 years of silence. Then suddenly, an angel of the Lord appears in the holy place as Zechariah is carrying out this ceremony. And just like every sane person that sees an angel, Zachariah is terrified. Do not be afraid, Gabriel says. Verse 13, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call him John. And as we read before, many will rejoice at his birth, Gabriel says, for he will be great before the Lord. Verse number 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. It's happening, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. The incense, the uniform, the ceremony, it's all done its bit. The prayers for the Messiah are being answered. God is acting to fulfill his ancient promises. This is it, Zechariah. But Zechariah's response, verse number 18. How shall I know this? How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Let me stop you there, Gabriel. Gabriel. I'm sorry to say, but my wife and I are well past that stage. I don't think this could be true. Gabriel almost seems taken aback. I am Gabriel? Stand in the presence of God? I've been sent to give you this good news? What? Gabriel makes it clear that this lack of faith in the heart of Zechariah is disobedient skepticism. Yes, Zachariah was faithful in service, he was righteous in his behavior, but he refused to accept the possibility of a miraculous intervention by God. And that is the essential core of the Bible message. That is implicit on every page of the scriptures that Zechariah valued so much. In fact, as he stood in the literal heart of Judaism, Zechariah's response to the divine promise denies the very meaning of everything he stood for. The scriptures, the priesthood, the ceremony, the incense, the prayers that they were making, it was all built on the belief that God had, that God could, and that God would intervene in this world and save. Even his name means the Lord has remembered The irony is almost painful. And it's so fitting then that Gabriel not only rebukes him, but strikes him dumb for his lack of faith in the possibility of God's intervention. Zechariah, you've lost the core of redemption. You've lost the core of the gospel. So it would be best for everyone if you were to just shut up. And at first reading, you sort of wonder why has Luke started off this great narrative of the story of Jesus with so much detail about this encounter that Zachariah has and his lapse? But it's really only half the picture because more briefly, we then look at Mary and the second announcement. In contrast to Zechariah in the temple of Jerusalem, we come to Mary. She's betrothed uh, to, to, to Joseph, a young girl, in the obscure backwaters of Nazareth. And without the ceremony or any sort of pomp, Gabriel appears to Mary. And verse 31 says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And what's noteworthy is Mary's response In fact, in many ways, at first reading, it seems quite similar to Zechariah, verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? She also responds, like Zechariah, with a question. But there's no rebuke here for Mary. Because Mary is understandably asking about the mechanics, asking about the morality of it. She's a virgin. It didn't take 21st century medicine for people to understand how reproduction works. She needed a further explanation for exactly how this might happen. But Mary doesn't question God's ability, doesn't question the possibility of it happening. And with extra information, she concludes in verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And to underline the point, see in verse 45, when she later meets Elizabeth, Elizabeth says to her, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So you see, God's promised fulfillment provokes two very contrasting responses. The inner motivations and dynamics of Zachariah and Mary's questions couldn't be more different. Yeah, Mary had questions, but it was the kind of question and doubt that seeks more information, that has a trajectory towards faith. In contrast, Zachariah's question revealed a kind of doubt that was really looking for a way out, that didn't want to believe or submit. Its trajectory was toward unbelief. Mary gets it right exactly where and how Zechariah got it wrong. So let's just briefly conclude by pulling these two things together. God begins to fulfill his ancient promises. God's promise fulfillment provokes contrasting responses. The truth is, I've always subconsciously had a soft spot for Zechariah, I find him so relatable. And I'm, I'm naturally sympathetic. Every time I read it, I think, Oof. But as I see Luke weave these two stories together, and as I see the contrast in the two, it reveals the problem in my own heart, the seriousness of our lack of certainty in God. I can't help but think there's some of Zachariah's DNA In us, going through the motions, but with a dose of cynicism underneath. Wanting to hope, but lacking the conviction. And like Zachariah, no matter how well we do at sort of suppressing it through good and religious behavior, disbelief pops out, it reasserts itself in the unguarded moments of life. But thankfully, Luke is writing to change this. He's writing this record so that we might go from being weary, jaded, cynical Zacharias to faith-filled, joyful, obedient, confident Marys. And it happens time and time again in this gospel. As people encounter Jesus Christ and his word, it brings joy and life time and time again. Even in verse 44, John in the womb leaps for joy as Jesus approaches in Mary's womb. Even Zechariah, as we'll see next week, can change. The promised son, Jesus Christ, the son of the most high, God himself has come to make things new. So brothers and sisters this morning, As we read the word this morning, do we get the fact that God has intervened in history? He keeps his promise. He accomplishes miracles in people's lives. Can our life, our prayer, our priorities reflect this core conviction? Because if we don't, then let's shut the place down and go home. We have something to shout about. And as we consider God's word this morning, does it revive our heart of faith and build expectation in the miraculous intervention and power of God to bring new life? Do we believe we have good news to offer friends, family, co-workers, neighbors this Christmas? Are we gonna bring people along to hear the word at the carol service? or Are we gonna retreat to stocking fillers, mince pies and inoffensive seasons greetings? You know, look, as we go through this book, he'll never let us think that there's an individual who's too far gone from the possibility of new life. Too rich, too powerful, wait till you meet Zacchaeus. Too wild, too many demons, wait till we meet Legion in chapter 8. Too hurt, too much betrayal, wait till we meet the prodigal son in chapter 15. Too used, too messy. Wait till we meet the prostitute in chapter 7. Too late. Wait till we meet the criminal on the cross beside Jesus in chapter 23. Brothers and sisters, Luke gives us certainty in what God has accomplished and gives us credibility in the gospel that we might respond in faith and joy and develop the courage to communicate of God our Savior. Let's take a moment and close our service in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, which continually reminds us that you are good and your love endures forever. Whatever our circumstances are this morning, whatever sense we have of darkness or winter, we pray that the brightness and the heat of your word would ignite our hearts and our minds as we consider your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have fulfilled your promises. And so we have confidence that you will do exactly what you say you will do. And we pray that our hearts would be soft and responsive in a confident faith that proclaims your goodness to all who will listen. So we commit your word to the work of your spirit for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen.